listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 92 of the Testudo Times Podcast. Just in case you were wondering, the decision last week to have no intro and outro was an editorial decision because I was depressed. But that decision will not be made again because there's no need to at this point, right, Thomas? Correct. Good good things are still happening in College Park. That's amazing because last week I thought legitimately the sky was going to start falling. And then it didn't. Amazingly, it didn't. Maryland just poked a few holes in a rowboat. Yep. That That's what happened. And then... And then our good friend P.J. Fleck put fake geese around Minnesota's facility. That's what losing the Maryland's fourth-string quarterback does to you, people. You plant fake geese around your football facility. Don't do that. Well, first of all, hopefully most of you lose to Maryland in the future. Anyway, Lamar is also here to join us. Lamar, uh, what would you think about uh, if you were going around the journalism building and they put fake geese around the facility to see who is the leader and who's the follower or some other pseudo-hip philosophy on geese-fying formations. Uh, this is a confused joke. Am I, am I, am I telling you who, who I would have thought had made that joke and planted those geese there? Who at the, the, the journalism school would do that? I'd love honest, to hear your head. Sorry. I'm no if, if I'm there no were snitch. geese around there, I'm like, I'm more likely to have, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, who pulls pranks around the journalism school? I just made people look at the ground. Okay. Well, PJ Fleck did that legitimately, so I, I don't know. Thomas, what were you going to say there? I'm not snitching. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that I guess will help you out later, but anyway. We were talking about PJ Fleck doing some pseudo-hip philosophy with fake geese because his team lost to Maryland on Saturday, and Thomas, the Texas win's always going to be a bigger win, I think, in just terms of the psyche of the program, but... Honestly, this win's more surprising to me for Maryland in most every way because if you listen to the podcast last week, I was the most fatalistic I've ever been about Maryland football, and there's been a lot of problems with Maryland football in the past. But this win, I don't want to say it came out of nowhere, but it really does feel like it kind of came out of nowhere. It, I don't know about coming out of nowhere. I know that it took a lot of things to be reversed in a pretty short time. Um, it took, um, you know, putting together a new game plan for a new quarterback who's much more limited um, than, than the two previous quarterbacks. It took together putting that together. Um, the offensive line had a such, you know, had a much, much better game. Probably the best I've seen Maryland's offensive line since covering the team. Um, and then, you know, that opens things up for the running backs. And, you know, with Bortenschlager not getting sacked at all, he didn't um, try and force anything. And, uh, you know, the defense held Minnesota pretty much in check. Um, and even even a kicker made a 51-yarder. I mean, everything everything just went right. And it was still a close game because Minnesota's good and Maryland was on the road and, you know, they're still kind of limited, but, you know, it was a lot of things had to go right, and they did. I'll dispute a couple of things. I don't know how good Minnesota really is, 
let's be honest. If you're losing to a fourth-string quarterback, doesn't matter who it is, you might not be that great at football. They also had a ton of injuries, too, which certainly hurt them, particularly on defense. They lost one of their best corners on the first drive of the game. So they had some injury issues, I think, that played a role. But certainly, Lamar, in my time following and covering Maryland, and that's been since 2012, I haven't seen a better job of coaching on any side of the ball, let alone how well Walt Bell coached. But DJ Durkin got his team up for a game that I thought, I didn't think he could get them up for a game like this, considering everything that they had gone through, and just getting their butts kicked at home by a team from the American Athletic Conference after losing your second quarterback to a season-ending injury. I didn't think he could do that, and he did, and he did it in ways I didn't expect. So kudos to him and the coaching staff. How do you think he pulled it off? Uh, so, yeah, the coaching staff definitely deserves a lot of credit, but in my opinion, it's definitely more, it was definitely more the execution because, being honest, the coaching staff probably went about last week the same as they would have any other week. It's all about how the players are going to, like, actually come out and play, and I was surprised to see that they came out with that intensity and were able to uphold it. Uh, like Thomas said, big ups to the offensive line. They played their hearts out. Um... And, yeah, the offensive line was really the unsung hero on Saturday. I think it was the unsung hero against Texas, too. And we talked so much about how good offensive line recruiting has been for Maryland for years, and you finally saw it in a Big Ten game, in a game when Thomas, I mean, they played so badly against UCF. And with Matt Bortenslager, a quarterback, and the way Maryland was just unable to run the ball against the Knights, didn't you kind of suspect against a Big Ten team on the road that, kind of the same thing was going to happen. And instead, Maryland runs for, what, nearly 250 yards and Bortenschlager doesn't get touched all day. It's incredibly impressive what the offensive line did, and we should give them more credit than I think all of us did collectively after the game ended. Yeah, I mean, because you don't think about it at first. I mean, you think about, wow, the you know the fourth-string quarterback came in and he won a game. And, you know, it's a, it's a team thing. It's like, wow, the running backs ran wild. It's like, well, they, had, they needed a blocker. I mean, you don't think about it right away. You only um, think but, about it when your quarterback's getting sacked a bajillion times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Maryland's offensive line has been, you know, one of the stronger units on the team all season um, and lost the battle in the trenches against UCF, which has a very good defense. I think it's, I th- I think it's funny and kind of worth noting that, like, now UCF is ranked. And so we spent the whole time, the whole preseason talking about, like, you have five games against ranked opponents, and so, you know, that that leaves seven other ones. And now UCF is a sixth, so that's half of Maryland's schedule against teams that I think are going to be ranked at some point. Well, Um, I think the thing with UCF is we almost kind of consider that game a mulligan considering what happened. And D.J. Durkin, as we talked about last week, admitted as much that the team kind of couldn't emotionally recover from what happened. And that's a lot of why UCF played the way they did. Now, it turns out they're a very good football team, and that isn't a huge surprise. But in many ways, that game doesn't tell me as much about Maryland as it does about how good UCF was. Because that Maryland game, I think the coaching staff almost was like, forget about it. What happened happened, and we couldn't emotionally recover. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. But we can play better than that, and we can emotionally deal with these tough moments better than we did. And Thomas, I think in this game, what I was so worried about is what happened if Maryland couldn't run the ball? Because you know that's what they're going to try to do, and you know that's what teams are going to go out to try to stop Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison to the best they can. UCF did it, so figuring other teams now see this on tape, hey, we can stop these guys too. Minnesota couldn't, and that allowed Maryland's offense to do 
all of the things that it did, basically, they just told Max Bortenschlager, give the ball to the guys who are going to win you the game. Ty Harrison, Johnson, and DJ Moore. And those three guys won them the game on offense. Yeah. I mean, that's them. And, uh, you know, the offensive lineman made that all possible, but we had that discussion. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what you have to do. And, you know, it's it's not often you get a team that has, you know, three bona fide playmakers like that. Um, and, you know, even if Bordenschlager isn't as much of a playmaker himself, you know, when he's, you know, a good, he can be a solid supporting character to all of that. And that's what he was. And that's why they were successful. I mean, he made, he made some very impressive throws um, on, on third downs and fourth downs that, um, you know, he hadn't been making in, you know, when he started against Nebraska, when he started against, or when he came in against UCF, you know, he wasn't making anything like the throw he made to DJ Turner on fourth down. He wasn't uh, making. I, like, I, I 100% agree with that. DJ. Don't you think that's a week of preparation knowing, all right, Max, you're the guy. I know they all tell you prepare the same as if you're going to start every week, but for his first game against Nebraska, no one knew he was starting until he actually came out in the field. Sudden change against UCF, you can't really expect that, but knowing that he was going to start all week so he could really prepare allowed him, I guess, to make these throws, and certainly knowing what you're going to see and being prepared for those kind of moments, it's a little bit different when you kind of know it's going to happen as opposed to be ready in case something happens, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly... Prepping with the first team offense is a big part of that. And, you know, having a game plan tailored to your strengths and weaknesses is a part of that. Um, and both of those things were, you know, true this week and they hadn't been true because he, he wasn't, he wasn't playing with the ones when Kasim Hill was still healthy. And mm-hmm. I think they were like, I think uh, when, when he started at Nebraska last year, he and, Pegram and Perry Hills, I think, had all taken like one first team reps. Although I don't remember if Hills was healthy or not. That was a that was a weird situation. But either way, I mean, he wasn't definitely the guy then, and you know, for the first time he was. And so, you know, you you want to say, yeah, you'll prepare the same way you would, but it's we know it's that's kind of bogus. Thing. We can't really. Told. Well, yeah, because. It's it's one thing to prepare for in case, and you can prepare for in case the same way you would, but mentally it's just different. It is absolutely true, and he played a game that I didn't think he could play, and that is a lot, Lamar, on Walt Bell, who we've criticized at times for some of the play calling and some of the decision-making that he's made. There's been a couple of games. There was some play calling last year against Penn State that I wasn't particularly happy with. There were times against Texas and even against UCF where I was a little bit apprehensive with some of the way... He's what's calling plays, but in this game, he called the perfect game because it allowed Max Borgenschlager to make the few throws that he had to make and just let the playmakers make the plays. It reminds me a lot of what Maryland did when they had Stephon Diggs was they basically just said, all right, Steph, go get the ball and do what you have to do. We'll help you out along the way. And that's essentially Maryland's offense now because they are a little more limited at the quarterback position. And Walt Bell proved he can coach a game and call a game in that situation, which I didn't think he could call until now. Yeah, uh, Walt definitely had the play calling down to a tee on Saturday. Uh, definitely, you saw it at the end of the first half and how they ended each half, actually. Um, one with the brilliant clock management, uh, 
calling the grenade coaches play. Coaches uh, making clock management plays like that? I've never seen that before, let alone the pros, let alone college. Yeah, he uh, said it was actually on. Uh, all of that was put into play by our wide receiver coach. He, uh, he's the clock management guru on the team. Uh, but, yeah, you just see that they he had the – play calling down pack and it it was a it was a brilliant game plan for for minnesota it was a perfect game plan and thomas i think there were other things too we should say the defense i don't think it was great it didn't really get much of a pass rush it's sort of become the staple now they're a bend but don't break defense they forced one turnover in the red zone which is very important and minnesota didn't have a great day running the ball but they still made plays on offense but maryland's defense at this point I think the best you can kind of expect from them is they'll make the plays when they have to in order to keep the offense in the game because you know the offense can eventually, in many cases, outscore its problems. And that's what it did today. And you have to give credit. I think the secondary had a pretty good game. Obviously, they stopped the run very well. Uh, Even though they allowed 24 points, I think in many ways that was kind of a misnomer because they did play well basically in the situations when they had to, even if they gave up a few too many yards and first downs for all of our likings. Yeah, and I don't think 24 points is, like, a bad number. I think that's a number that Maryland— I think it's but it's not terrible. I think Maryland would expect to win games when it allows 24 points against anybody. Um, but, yeah, it, it was—they did some things well. They they defended um, the pass pretty well. Um, Rhoda's not a great thrower, but he made some solid throws. Um, they let a lot of tight ends get open, which they also did against CF. Um, that always happens. That, I don't yeah, think many teams uh, cover tight ends very well. Yeah, and it's interesting because Maryland still uses uh, its tight ends primarily as blockers, mostly because that's what some of those guys are. You know, they're they're more designed to be that. Like Derek Hayward is mm-hmm. basically an extra offensive lineman for him. Um, but but yeah, I mean the the defense it had its moments and it it created two turnovers, although one of them was on the final drive, um, which which is important. It sealed it. Um, and then, yeah, that deflection to Josh Woods kind of swung some things. And, you know, I think if that's, you know, the kind of performance that we can expect, I think we'll see Maryland hang in a lot of ball games, even if, you know, they'll, be, they'll give up a few more big, you know, big plays and conversions than you would like to see. But, um yeah, so they'll they'll keep their team in it for sure. Let's talk about kicking because you know Big Ten. We got to get some kicking and punting fundamentals in the show. Where the hell did this kicker come from? I know he's a grad transfer from I think Georgetown. Odd as it yeah. may be, the the whole so, kicker thing was weird because Adam Green kicked in the first game and then he disappeared. And then on the first drive, they go for a fake field goal inside the ten, and you're thinking they've got no faith in this kicker. And then Darmstadter comes out and makes a 51-yard field goal to go into the half, and you're just like, wait a minute, what just happened? I'm still trying to figure out what just happened and what they're doing with the kickers because it makes no sense. So so Darmstadter, this is a wild thing. They actually uh, – we, we talked to him today. Um, and I You talked to the I kicker have, today. Yeah, and I have something up on the site about it that uh, you, know, you might not have caught before we started this. But I did read it, um, but for the, those who haven't already – yeah, and so so for um, so Darmstadter, he, he did he kind of did come out of nowhere for a lot of people. I mean, I had I didn't know who he was until August in camp when they added walk-on names to the rosters. 
because I mean there were there were no like big announcements for anything. I mean he just he just walked on. He was yeah he's a grad transfer from Georgetown and he was an All Patriot League kicker uh, twice at Georgetown. Um, so I mean he's he's definitely you could definitely see him competing when when you saw what he had accomplished. Um, you know it, it was he was in a competition with with Green Mike Shinsky. And it looked like, you know, Green had it, but it wasn't really firm. I think that, you know, the competition's still ongoing. I think I don't need, I don't think one fifty fifty yard is going to change that. Um, and Green hadn't made one from yeah. fifty plus, has he? No, no. His long last year was, I don't know if he made one over forty last year. Although I know oh. he has the leg to do it because he made like forty seven, forty eight in spring game, um, and. I mean, and and fifty one is sort of the edge of Darmstadter's range too, but but I mean, you saw him, you know, hit one just far enough and just straight enough and worked. I um, I just can't believe that that happened. But yeah, so he was like he left, uh, he turned down basically job offers to kick, you know, in college for one more year, and try and go get a master's at the same time, and you know, for for him to. To do, to do that and then be, you know have the early season he's putting up is is actually really special to see it's really weird because college kickers as we know uh but this that one it came out of nowhere i did not expect any maryland kicker to be making a 50 plus yard field goal in that situation and he did and even the announcers tim brando was like did that just happen because I, I was as stunned as anybody else but maryland now has a viable kicker who can kick from beyond 40 which is Certainly helpful to the offense because when you when you saw that they went for the fake field goal on fourth and goal inside the ten, my immediate thought was, oh, they aren't trying to go for it and they're trying to be bold in this game. That's a we don't have faith in our kicker move. That's at least what I, I thought it, it is to me. I still thought it was at least in that moment it was a more of a bold statement kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, college is weird because the hash marks are so far apart. You can kick it online but it you just it's such a weird angle a short field goal from one of the far hashes that kickers just miss those like it's i i still don't know why they do that in college and i, in I don't think we'll ever just, find that out yeah but i mean so he was on one of the far hashes and it's actually a tough angle for a field goal which might have been might have played a role in it um i think it was more they wanted to put seven on the board after put it after a really long drive, and they knew that if they didn't get it, they were going to be pinning Minnesota deep, and that's what happened is that they got down to the one, they forced the three and out, and they started their next drive on like Minnesota's 40-yard line, and they scored a touchdown. It ended up working out in the end, but I mean, the first thought I had in my head, because as you heard last week, I'm fatalistic, is Maryland doesn't have any faith in their kicker, but that's okay. So Maryland is now three and one. They have won one of the games that we thought would be pretty difficult for them to win in the Big Ten, and suddenly they might make a bowl game again. That's fun. But now we're about to be served reality again because Maryland is going to the horseshoe to play Ohio State. And Lamar, this is one of those games where Maryland goes in with no expectations. They're going in to play football, and any trouble they give Ohio State is a bonus. Now, with the way they played at Texas and the way their first two quarterbacks played, I had a thought in my head that if they were healthy, Maryland actually had a chance to give Ohio State a real run for their money because Ohio State really hasn't proven anything yet against 
semi-decent football teams. But now with Max Bordenschlager, I think that's a little bit different. So let's let's set the scene here. What do you think we are going to see on Saturday in a game that could end up being pretty ugly, although we expect it to be ugly? I don't think it's going to be as ugly, uh, definitely not as ugly as last year. Um, this is a much improved team. We're going to see just how much I'm not sure if they're ready to compete with top 10 teams, but we uh, this weekend should give us an opportunity. This is just uh, the team's going out with the mindset they're, they're going to win, and that's really the most important thing going into games like this. Um, I don't think they are, but uh, I think that I don't think it's going to be as bad as definitely not as bad as the line says. And uh, yeah, they want to have definitely think they cover that. Condolences to our friends in Vegas with everything that's happened in the past week, by the way. Uh, we should say that the line is Maryland, min- Ohio State minus 31, which considering Maryland has been double digit dogs on the road twice this season and won outright. That line is absolutely ridiculous. Total, total garbage. And I, I can understand fourth-string quarterback at Ohio State. That's kind of terrifying. But uh, Maryland's not 31 points worse off than Ohio State. I, I'm just going to say that right now. We, we talked, Thomas, when we were previewing Texas, and the line was like 18. Can Maryland cover that? And that was a more realistic line than this is. But excusing Vegas and gambling, which we don't condone here, although we do enjoy bad beats, especially bad beats like the one that happened with Washington's professional team on Monday night. Anyway, this game is weird because I don't think we know anything about Ohio State. We wanted to have our good friend Matt Brown on, uh, but some circumstances arose that are quite unfortunate and which prevented that. But I think he would tell us, and then most people who follow college football would tell us that we don't really know a lot about Ohio State at this point uh, because they had that game against Indiana on that opening Thursday night where they didn't play very well until they throttled them in the fourth quarter. They lost at home to a really good Oklahoma team, and they haven't played anybody since. So this is kind of a sneaky trap game for Ohio State because a Maryland team with the weapons that they have on offense and some of their defensive issues that they showed against Oklahoma, it could be one of those games in which Maryland could make a little bit of hay and give them trouble. Um, I guess. Uh, I think... To me, the most logical reason Maryland's going to be competitive is just the law of Gus Johnson. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I mean, that this is true because every Gus Johnson game this year has been stupid. Well, I mean, I mean, Gus Johnson called Washington pretty- and Rutgers, and Rutgers somehow looked mildly competitive in that game and then lost to Eastern Michigan, so it's certainly possible. That's the law of Gus Johnson. Well, the law of Gus Johnson also has him being laughed at by Ian Wright during an FA Cup final, but you don't need to remember that. I only remember that because I'm a soccer nerd. Anyway, you can continue. We don't talk about Gus Johnson on soccer. We're talking about Gus Johnson on football. Well, um, we also should apologize to America that you have to watch a fourth-string quarterback on network television, but, you know, it's Ohio State, so. Yeah, no, that'll be that'll be interesting. I think a 31-point line is like, you know, one of those, it'll just depend on, so if it's a 20-point game, do which team sort of just kind of packs it in? Is it the team that's up 20 and then they win by like 13? Or is it the other team and they lose by 34? Like a, a 31, you know, it's just a weird line that, I don't know, stay away from it. Well, I, we, we would say that, but then you're telling us that this could be bad beat stay away territory. From it, but, also, but also hammer Maryland. I know. I mean, Maryland plus 31, it's free money at this point. Take it. 
If SVP doesn't put that in winners, okay, never mind. We should stop talking about that, but you know that he'll mention it at some point. By the way, did you, if you haven't watched the intro to winners, it's the mighty sound of Maryland with trombone shorty and new Coalfield house. And that's probably the most perfect thing ever put on television by anybody. Anyway, back to the football. Uh, yeah, and th- so I was originally going to say, actually, because I, I saw that the week of the UCF game, and I, I was, I was going to tweet out, Maryland is undefeated since they fi- filmed the winner's video in Coalfield House, and then they lost by 28, and I didn't uh, tweet it. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, let, let's, uh, let's go back to the actual football for a second. And it is such a weird game because I bet we would be saying if one of Maryland's quarterbacks was healthy— Kasim Hill or Tyrell Pigram, they had a real chance to give Ohio State a really good run for their money because you have a running quarterback and Ohio State's defense against teams not named Rutgers is unproven. And Maryland's got the playmakers to give Ohio State trouble. They've got a ton of athletes, but that defense wasn't great against Oklahoma, which is the only team that came anywhere near close to having the number of athletes and the talent at the skill positions that Maryland has. And while Maryland is not anywhere near Ohio State's level, almost anywhere on the field, Ty Johnson, Lorenzo Harrison, and G.J. Moore are, in the most raw of terms, equalizers in this sense. They can get Maryland free scores in this game if they break off runs and they break off plays. And that's why I'm saying, because Maryland has the playmakers that can make fluke things happen, that's why I almost kind of think that this game sets up for Maryland to keep it relatively competitive until Ohio State eventually wears them out. But, I don't know, do you think that... I'm off base, or do you think that Maryland could actually hang with the Buckeyes for a few quarters? I think um, a lot of that still depends on the line, and Ohio State's defensive line is very good, so I, it'll be interesting to see if if Maryland can, you know, just block the way they did against Minnesota and get room for their running backs and protect the quarterback, um, because without without that, I mean, you don't get they don't, you know, the guys like that don't have a chance to just make their own plays. Um, you know, they don't, you don't get them just out in space. Um, so it's, that'll be, I think, what determines whether Maryland has a chance. Do you think that the offensive line plays well enough? Because Towson, you throw away because it's not really a game worth analyzing. UCF, they played poorly, but we know there are extenuating circumstances for that. But against Texas and Minnesota, they were great. So against the two best, air quotes, because obviously I think UCF's better now, against the teams in their schedule where they were playing at their full, I guess, mental capacity, so to speak, not having a debilitating quarterback injury, taking their mind off it, they've been really well, and they've protected the quarterback, and they've run blocked incredibly well. This is, you could argue, their toughest test of the season in terms of just pure raw pass rush and physicality on the defensive line. I think they have a chance to do it, don't you? They have a chance. Um, I can't say right now that I'm optimistic about it. Um, but, the, you know, it line's been solid all year. And I think they won't. They will definitely not play a perfect game because Ohio State's defense is too talented to not just break through a couple of times. But, um, yeah, I think they'll give them a chance. Lamar, who has to play, I mean, aside from the obvious, but who else does Maryland need big games from if they want to, obviously, we're, we're not saying they're going to pull off the upset because I think we're all realistic enough to know that's probably not going to happen, but say Maryland keeping it competitive for as long as they possibly can, what players besides the obvious answers, who are those kind of guys that have to step up if Maryland does want to stay competitive? 
So um, one uh, is kind of an obvious answer. Lorenzo Harrison has to be uh, him and he has to be on par with Ty Johnson. They have to work in tandem like they did last week. Um, but some of the non-obvious answers are anyone not named DJ Moore. Last week I was a little down on him, but then when I look back at it, uh, five other uh, uh, five receivers uh, got catches. DJ Turner and Tavon both had a couple. Uh, Tavon had five. They and DJ Turner both had two on their own, and they're going to have to step up against Ohio State because they're going to key in on DJ Moore because everyone knows what he can do. They're going to key in on Ty because everyone knows what they can do. Um, the rest of his, the receivers have to find ways to get open and give max targets to throw to. It's going to be interesting to see whether... Worth noting they, here. Oh, go on. Worth noting here is that Tavon Jacobs was a former Ohio State commit. Hey, did he play in the... Because I don't know. He obviously didn't play last year, and I don't think he played in the 2015 Randy Edsel doesn't give an F game. But did he play against he Ohio did. State yet? I don't remember if he did in that game. I think he, he might have played in the horseshoe. He's, he's had one healthy season before this year, and that was that, was that Randy Edsel game. Um, oh, that that's the kind of game I'm hoping for, which is the Perry Hills breaks off a, what, 70-something yard touchdown run because Randy Etzel doesn't give an F. That was a fun game. Yeah, yeah I was. I honestly did not expect anybody to lose their jobs over that game, but that was a different, I don't know, that was, that was before my reporting time. That was a different time. But don't you think that's kind of the game that you'd want to see? Not the coaching doesn't give an F because somebody's about to get fired. Obviously, DJ Durkin's in much better job shape than that. But that kind of game, I think it ended like 55 to 28 or something. Don't have the score in front of me. But isn't that the kind of game you kind of want to see? Maryland hanging around, doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing against Ohio State and eventually losing steam at the end, but keeping it respectable enough for a while? I mean, I think that's, if you're a fan, that's the reasonable best case. Um it's obviously fine to hope for a little more, you know. That's that's why you. Let's hope uh, JT Barrett plays play so poorly games. that Dwayne Haskins has to come in and we can laugh. Hey, 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 who? hey you know, who, who? I'm gonna need an explanation on who that is and what he does. Oh, uh, I wish we had Ohio State fans on this podcast or Ohio State journalists because you know there's a quarterback controversy in that part of the country. Pretty big quarterback yeah. controversy in that part of the country. And it's not the guy who tweeted about Ohio State's football program being worth $2 billion. Just saying. Yeah, I wonder where Kirk Herbstreet is on their death chart. Uh, that'd be an interesting one. You know he's going to be in, in Fort Worth, Texas in the morning, and then probably will be in the air to Ann Arbor, Michigan during the game. So I don't know. We'll find out. We, we, we will figure it out at some point down the line. I was going to think, think about we... Joe Germain or Craig Krenzel or some of these other guys. Troy Smith. Troy Smith is a good one, yes. What are some other good Ohio State quarterbacks that we can name? Cardale Jones. That is a good one. He don't do school. He don't play school. The oh, original, the, the OG JT Barrett backup. Yeah, the original, yep. Oh, geez. Remember when Ohio State had like three quarterbacks the year that Maryland had zero? It's kind of amazing how that happens, but anyway. So, Thomas, the final question on this before we shift to some basketball What's the margin of defeat for Maryland this weekend? Because we know there's reasonably no chance they're going to win. Uh, I would say probably two, three scores, probably three. Um, I just, 
So that would be between 17 and 24. Yeah, something around that. Um, Yeah, I mean, Maryland is just not on Ohio State's level one through, you know. 85. One through 22, one through 85. Um, just, Just not there. And, you know, as long as Urban Meyer's there, it's going to be tough to get anywhere near it. But, you know, they're, they're on their way for sure. Oh, um, I think next year they're going to be pretty competitive with Ohio State. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. It depends really on how many people stay for, like, senior years because there are some guys who can or are getting uh, NFL interest, but that'll be That's probably That's for another podcast later in the year. Yes, but I'm just saying before you get super excited about every 2018 team. Well, I still think that they're going to be better next year than they will be this year because they'll actually have healthy quarterbacks, we think. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. Lamar, uh, what's the margin of defeat for Maryland this weekend? Um, I'll say somewhere... Because we got a weird line, I'll say it's a weird margin of defeat. I'm going 15 points. Boy, that would be like we're doing cartwheels if Maryland only loses to Ohio State by 15. That means everybody in Columbus is starting to panic because it's Maryland and Maryland shouldn't be on Ohio State's level. And I don't know what Ohio State fans and Ohio State in general thinks about Maryland. I know that they have to play them every year because of the conference now. Uh, I I assume they have a higher opinion of them than Rutgers because at least multiple times they've been mildly, interestingly enough, competitive with them at some point. You know, the first two times they played, the Maryland was actually somewhat in their league before getting blown out in the end. But should be very like interesting to see. Yeah, before before in the end, I I had a friend. We were doing a radio show junior year, and this was the year Ohio State ended up winning the national championship. And it was Maryland's first Big Ten home game. Crazy atmosphere, and he thought that Maryland was going to beat Ohio State. And I'm like, eh, hold hold your horses. Ohio State isn't that bad, and they won like 52 to something. Anyway, the first two games against Ohio State for Maryland were like that. So, will be an interesting game. Yes, Gus Johnson is calling it, so some weird stuff will probably happen. But in lieu of that, Thomas, there are some basketball things we want to talk about. It is October, so we are very close to the start of the season, which means not only recruiting, but other things as well. I'm in the process of writing a Big Ten preview for another site, which is fun. But you wanted to talk about some recruiting things. Yes, uh... We don't know a ton about who's actually going to commit to Maryland at this point, but we know the list of guys that could, theoretically, anytime between while I say this and about a month from now, which is a pretty big range because basketball recruiting is weird. Well, as as we have found out. Yeah, so over the weekend, um, uh, Devin Dotson, Kelvin Johnson, and Eric Ayala all came to campus and already 2018 commits uh, Jalen Smith and Aaron Wiggins showed up. So that was a party and that was um, first weekend of practice as well. So, you know, recruits got in the scrimmages and all that. Um, and so a lot of interesting things are happening because it's, we're sort of at the season where a lot of guys will, um, commit before they start their senior seasons, just to get that out of the way. There's an early signing period in uh, November. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see um, just what the timeline of that is. 
there there's this sort of musical chairs that's going on with um maryland and florida and kansas for devin dotson um florida just got a high four-star point guard um and reportedly are off dotson's list as a result kansas Hmm. is kansas is also like almost a lock for this other point guard who's ranked higher than Dotson on uh, the 24-7 composite rankings, which would then leave Maryland. Um, I don't know what the timeline is for any of this, or if Dotson would still go to Kansas, if, if, even if they're still reportedly on uh, Quentin Grimes as the other point guard. So a lot of interesting things that are happening there. Um, Keldon Johnson, Maryland's competing with Kentucky and Texas. Um, Eric Ayala is an interesting one because, you know, he'll, he'll be, he's, he's on his official visit to Oregon this weekend. Um, I think the consensus among people who are sort of in the know on it is that he really likes Maryland, but Maryland is, Maryland has five scholarships open at this moment. And it looks like Ayala is like their sixth choice. So He's in kind of this holding pattern, which is kind of unique to basketball in that way. Oh, it's so weird because, again, we don't know what players may leave next year. Is Justin Jackson going to go to the NBA? I've been looking up on the draft boards, and he's on almost every one of them, in some cases fairly highly. Like I've seen a lot of them where he could be a first-round pick. If that's the case, would be shocked to see him stay at school for an extra year. Uh, it's a weird situation. And just because college basketball with what blew up last week, it's just so weird. There's a lot of moving parts and I don't follow recruiting as much as some of us do here. I only talk about it when it happens and we read and react during these situations. But this seems like one of the weirder recruiting periods for Maryland in a while because they have so many open slots and therefore they can do a lot of crazy things. It's almost in the way like what happened when Everybody left after 2015-16, and they had a bajillion slots open, and they got Justin Jackson at the last possible minute. So yeah, that, that's basketball recruiting for you. Yeah, and um, another – I mean, one thing that's also interesting is how they added Kevin Broaddus, you know, kind of early in the cycle. Um, they, they added Kevin Broaddus in April, uh, previously at Georgetown. And he is, like, the lead recruiter on half of these guys. And he was the lead recruiter on the Mitchell Twins, who are 2019 commits already. Um, so it's it's been interesting to see how he's, you know, come in and played a big role in what was already like what was circled as going to be a big class for quite some time. It's interesting because Maryland was already pretty good at recruiting. Mark Turgeon, that's something he's been able to do very well since he got to Maryland was recruit, and you add another good recruiter at assistant coach and. And there's a potential for this to be kind of a recruiting juggernaut. And they could have a top five class if everything works out the way that they hope, which I know, you know, it's still Maryland. So they're not getting into Duke, Kentucky level, but in a top five class with the best programs in college basketball, that's quite a sign of how good Mark Turgeon and company can recruit. Lamar, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, Yeah, Brodus has been huge for this. He also recruited... uh, yeah, like uh, he recruited Kayla's brother at Georgetown and been big on Moses Brown. Uh, uh, sorry, actually, Bino's been, Bino Ranson has been uh, the lead recruiter on Moses Brown. But 
This is going to be, be a big class. I think Justin Jackson's definitely gone. Sites have him as high, uh, as high as the top 10. I know it's early, but uh, I feel like he's a first-round pick next year uh, after he gets another year to really uh, showcase his talents in Maryland system. And that frees up the sixth spot. But, yeah, again, that also leaves Ayala out in the cold for a while because you can't officially give away that scholarship while he's on the team. Um, this is going to be a fun recruiting cycle to follow, and Maryland definitely is setting itself up for the next couple of years to come. I have a feeling it's going to get stupider because if anything breaks in the FBI case, it could get even dumber. Like, because Nike, Adidas, right now Under Armour's not implicated, but everybody's involved in stupid stuff, we must say. We can't confirm Under Armour isn't, or is. But because of this whole FBI thing, Thomas, it, it makes a very bizarre recruiting cycle already even weirder. And I think that's going to add more intrigue to it, especially early signing period in November, the uncertainty around what's going on, and especially if anything else breaks, and there's a lot of time for that to happen, we could really start to see crazy things happening and dominoes falling that we would not have necessarily expected because it's already totally decimated one of the premier recruiting schools in the country, so... Yeah, I think one thing that'll be interesting is if what if something breaks in like April when half the kids have signed NLIs and another group are committed? I would like, think that they'd be allowed to be signing. released from their letter of intent because yes, that's essentially yes, what's happened with but, Louisville. But then that what, what that opens up is when you the sign the West. That's still Well, yes, because suddenly, you know, these people who hadn't been you know, recruited, like all these new teams just jump in on these new guys. I mean, I'm not saying that's like what I want to happen, but I think that's probably the maximum chaos scenario. Um, and it would, be, and it's not out of the realm of possibility that it can and will happen. That's the thing. So it, yeah. it just adds a ton of intrigue to this. By the way, I think they, didn't they also release Maryland Madness time? I've missed it, but yeah, I, that is uh, that is at 7:30. On the twenty first, so that's two um, weeks away. Game, yeah, same. Two weeks away. Can you believe it? Basketball season's already here. I thought we were prepping for basketball season last week, but it turns out maybe I just need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. So uh, enjoy the game against Ohio State on Saturday as much as that could possibly be enjoyed. I could tell you next week in as we get ready for Northwestern or the Blackstone Bowl, as I'm going to call it. Uh, we do have a special guest on the podcast. You will get to see that next week. Uh, but for now, uh, Thomas, isn't it great to do podcasts on Maryland football that are happy after the most depressing of podcasts last week? Yeah, it's a nice little refresher. I, I, I enjoy happy podcasts. Of course, everybody enjoys happy things rather than depressing things, and particularly when it's about sports, which are a place to be an escape, and they're not actually an escape because they're terrible. Hey, at least one quarterback with the first four letters of his last name being Bort, played well this past weekend. And Lamar, thank you again for joining us. Uh, anytime, anytime. We will have you back on very soon. It should be an interesting time with Maryland sports. October is here. Fun will to be had. And who knows if Maryland can win at Texas and at Minnesota as double-digit dogs outright, how the hell do we know that they aren't going to beat Ohio State with a fourth-string quarterback? I mean, that isn't going to happen, obviously, but hell, stranger things have happened. It's college football. Enjoy the game. Enjoy 
all of the beautiful October weather. Until then, though, go Terps.